0: So today we're talking about vacations and persecution. <laughs> That's the title. Is prison a vacation? <laughs> so, or is a vacation a prison? Um, the, the verse that I'm focused on uh, to kind of inspire today is so- Song of Solomon 8.5. We're in an intimacy series and we're kind of we're talking about intimacy today for sure it's a little bit inspired by uh kind of some things that happened this week and so we're on the intimacy theme but it's not as intimacy oriented potentially as maybe we have been or we will be um so but the song of solomon 8 5 uh, says who is that coming up um up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved who is that coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved so that's the inspiration for today and hopefully we'll have a better understanding of that by the end so uh, I have a bit of trouble with vacations a um, little bit of a uh, little bit of a confession I, I'm not always great at taking vacations I've gotten better over time but vacations uh, can be a little rough I have a tendency to be a little bit of a workaholic um, and uh, that can be more serious or less serious at times. That's my wife coughing in the background. Yeah, she's like... <laughs> uh, so, I can be a little bit of a workaholic. And I have a tendency to not enjoy, particularly the first few days of a vacation, uh, because I'm tense. I'm just thinking about all the things that I could be doing, should be doing, and uh, I'm not really able to enjoy it as much. And usually then, by like the third day or, or something like that, I'm a little bit more relaxed and... I'm kind of flowing a little bit more uh, with the vacation and in recent times uh, you can see we have two little ones uh, we've been doing a lot of dinosaur stuff we've been kind of doing a lot of I'm I'm getting to be an expert on uh, robotics for dinosaurs and dinosaur displays and dinosaur museums and, and things like this and I just wanted to share one kind of reality that seems interesting to me. Uh, we've gone to the dinosaur. I, there was one at the zoo here. I think it was last year, maybe the year before, they had this dinosaur thing that happens, and we've been to other places with large dinosaurs. Man in Nature had a big dinosaur display. We went to Cincinnati and saw some dinosaurs down there as well. And some of them are big, some of them are small. There's actually some at St. Mary's Nursery. We saw that this weekend, and they were like, hey, as we were looking for the cats, of course, we went to the St. Mary's Nursery to look for all our cats and find all their cats. But anyway... Um, when we were looking for the they're like we have dinosaurs so if you're looking for another dinosaur display in winnipeg they have one there we find them all anyway it's it's smaller but it, some of the ones that are really large are interesting because i remember particularly it first happened to me i've gotten better at it but it first happened to me at the zoo here in winnipeg i think it was a couple of years ago we were walking through and the dinosaurs were quite large now they were not that realistic i mean they try to make them realistic but you know they're not they're pretty obviously not dinosaurs and They don't really move very much Uh, so it's not confusing for me if that's maybe what you'll get by the end of the story it's not confusing for me but you know you walk up to these dinosaurs and they have the sound up pretty high you know and you're kind of going up and then they'll roar like and you kind of look up and you see this dinosaur and I don't consider myself a particularly like fearful person I used to work in you know maximum security prison and like it was it's not really something that I would think would you know affect me very much and And certainly, I didn't want to be affected by it, and I was preparing myself to not be affected by it. But looking up at a Tyrannosaurus Rex and this extremely loud PA system throwing a roar at you as you're underneath its teeth, I couldn't help but feel some shivers. It was like, whoa, you know? There was, like, a little bit of a reality there as I try to hide it and and comfort my children and tell them that it's no big deal as they start to cry. They should really have a warning at the zoo when they have these things that children will cry and scream, and you should, anyway, but... um, So, but it's not real, right? But it still has this reaction, uh, at least it did in me and probably others, I would think, um, even though you know it's not real. I've had couples, I I do, I'm a psychologist, so I, I do couples therapy, and I had couples come in, and it's interesting, some of them almost live off of vacations in their relationship, and they're not happy about that. Usually they know that it's a problem, Uh, for them but they kind of skip from vacation to vacation people around them sometimes wonder why are you taking so many vacations but for them it's actually a way of surviving in their relationship for some stretch of time that they hope will end soon where they'll actually have a better relationship at other times as well but they seem to feel like vacations are different for them Than other times and there's lots of good research around vacations and it surprised me because I'm a little bit anti vacation like not seriously but I'm a workaholic right so it's like oh should we should we and I don't enjoy the first couple days or at least I used to have more trouble and it was surprising to me how powerful vacations are for people so people will take like this is what's weird to me you know you take five days off or seven days off or something like this you go somewhere and you can see the effect of that vacation on the individual in their stress level like six months later i mean people are taking weekends all the time you know like in their easier days and and you take and sleeping there's all these other things but five days six months ago has an effect that's measurable six months later that to me is amazing i thought maybe it would last like i don't know i don't even know what two weeks three weeks and then you c- I for me like i come back this last vacation i took i came back and it was like, whoa. It, I think the effect wore off like by 10 a.m. on the first day at work because it, like, it was like, oh, I have this huge... And I just remembered all the huge list of things that I have to do and thinking for some reason that I had to do them in the next week and then realizing that I had, like, no, I cannot do them. It's like a six-month thing, you know. And Anyway. Um, but yes, you can actually see the effect, at least on other people. Six months later, the effect of vacations... So it's very important. Okay, so let's put that aside for a second. I want to talk about the reward system. So we have this reward system in our brain. It's run primarily by dopamine and opioids and things like this. You know, a lot of the chemicals that you'll find on the street. And the, uh, the reward system in your, it's not a coincidence, right? Uh, the, the reward system in our brain is what gives us motivation. So a lot of people come into counseling and they'll be like, I'm not motivated and I don't, and it's really, that's one of the, it's, well, they're all tricky, right? But like, it's tricky to give people motivation. And uh, so, anyway, what, what people have is this dopamine response. They they want something and it motivates them to go forward. And the unfortunate thing about uh, dopamine uh, and the reward system and, is that it's co opted. Uh, it can be easily co opted by lots of different things. Um, the other uh, Sunday, we were talking about pornography. And that's kind of where I was reviewing all of this again on how even something like, like a behavioral thing in your life can actually co-opt the reward system and really mess it up. And what happens when you mess up the reward system when you're using a street drug or gambling or alcohol or, um, or you know, like pornography, you uh, actually become dependent on that rather than your everyday functioning in order to stimulate your motivation. So you actually become less motivated in most areas of your life aside from the addiction. Like you're very motivated to go get another drink, but you're not motivated to go to work or anything like that, right? And what is interesting about this is that even though your dopamine system is still very active, but just focusing on this other thing, the frontal part of your brain actually starts to shut down and and not work as well. And that's the part that's supposed to tell you what to do and control you. So it's kind of like the steering wheel is not working. So you're you're kind of sitting here and you're thinking, oh, you know, I want my blank, fill in the blank. I want my hit of whatever this is. And the front part of your brain says, that's not a good idea, but I don't really have a lot of energy to stop you. You know, it's just kind of sitting there and it's like, "Mm," you know, like the power goes down on the front part of your brain. And so you're sitting there and you've got this huge motivation to do this thing and the front part of your brain can't stop you. And so the addiction continues. So you can look at this very neurologically. Now, the co-opting of our dopamine... Sorry to get, like, neurological on you. I don't normally do that if you're new here. But, you know, the dopamine system, the reward system that motivates us and it getting co-opted is a spiritual reality. It's not just a, you know, oh, that's what alcohol does. Substance, I mean, what we're supposed to be motivated spiritually, that is supposed to be. That's what our motivational system was designed for. It was to be motivated spiritually, uh, primarily, and by other healthy things that the Bible gives us to be motivated by. And the co opting of our reward system could be thought of as what you're giving your heart to. What is your heart focus? And that is what's motivating you. You know, you. Uh, You will be governed by your motivation, in a sense, in a spiritual reality. And the co-opting of our reward center is very similar to what we would spiritually call idolatry. Uh, When you are motivated, when you're focused on something other than God. And um, this is another interesting thing that I like about when, you know, when you look at psychology and then you look at the way spirituality works when you stop with that whatever you're doing you know you you don't get the hit anymore you stop with the porn or the substance or whatever it is that you are that you're using when you stop your actual desire your motivation for that gets worse it grows and that is what's supposed to happen i mean if we're actually if we walk away from god Our desire for God is supposed to grow, right? But if we've gone into an idolatrous situation where something else is motivating us and we walk away from that, it also will grow because that's what the system is designed to do. It's designed to pull you back into that good thing that you were doing. It's designed to push you back. But that only lasts a short period of time. Guess how long that time is? It's about 40 days. It's about like three or four or five weeks it's it's amazing to me that jesus is fasting that the withdrawal from idolatry the the severe worsening of our cravings lasts just about the same length of time as god's picture of pulling us away of refinement in fasting and resetting our brain. I love those kind of connections. Now, when we're talking about... Now, again, we use this model of, like, the reward system and idolatry. Most... Now, not all. So, I get it. Most spiritual attacks that we talk about, and I do believe that they're spiritual attacks, so don't get confused. When I talk about physical realities and spiritual realities, I don't think you need to choose. I think that they're the same. Um, I don't think God is... Only governing things that aren't physical he created the physical right so we don't have to choose Uh, but we can sometimes get a bit of insight by looking at one versus the other and the Bible actually says that so anyway most attacks spiritual attacks don't come by actually causing us um, I don't know how to phrase this like physical uh, actual physical uh, pain or suffering or things like that most I mean, it is painful, so that's not the best way, but maybe you'll get what I'm saying with this. Most of it comes with the removal of our addictions, which is ironic, I think. Most of the things that we would call a spiritual attack are actually the removal of things that we're relying on other than God. Most of the things. Now, I'm going to... The main story I want to reference today to hopefully illustrate this is from Daniel and it's the classic Daniel story the lion's den where am I here Daniel 6 there there we go just reading the story again this morning it's a powerful story we actually this is what uh, also inspired uh, in addition to the song of Solomon we were prophesying this week and we got this scripture and uh, So, people were jealous of Daniel. Daniel had this excellent spirit. uh, I'm reading primarily out of Daniel 6 here. uh, Daniel had this excellent spirit, and it caused jealousy in people who were around the king. And uh, Daniel was being set up to be given even more power. So, the people around Daniel couldn't find anything to accuse Daniel of. He was that excellent. They couldn't find any way to bring him down. The only way they said that we could bring him down is by connecting the law with his God. And so they went to the king who really liked Daniel. And they said, everybody agrees, king, it's King Darius, you should create an edict that can't, and this is the key part, that can't be rescinded. You can't stop the edict once you say it. That for 30 days, nobody can pray to anybody that it has to be restricted and, um, for 30 days because they knew that Daniel prayed every day. And, when Daniel, and, then, and then they actually convinced the king to do this. And then, I'll read this part. So therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. That was verse 9. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had previously, as he had done previously. So without hesitation, or at least there's no hesitation written about, he went and continued his daily routine. It sounds like he did it almost immediately. Like the signing happened and he went home and prayed and went right against it with his regular routine. Now, everybody found out about this because they were looking for it. And they then told the king. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed that he found out that Daniel had broken the edict and set his mind to deliver Daniel. So we have a king. This, Daniel has so much favor. We have a king who wants to deliver Daniel. And he labored. This is the king laboring till the sun went down to rescue, to rescue him, to rescue Daniel. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So the king was apparently powerless against his own rule. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared, O Daniel, to Daniel, may your God Whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled him. How much he loved Daniel, hey? Then... At break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. I think that could be a whole sermon right there. Oh, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent His angel and shut the mouth, shut the lions mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O King. I have done no harm then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no harm, no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions They and their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones to pieces. I don't think that last part makes it into the kids' stories. <laughs> so here we have a man who has such favor with the king and yet is still going through persecution. Now, I was thinking about this, about the story of Daniel and Lion's And I think it's interesting because I think it could actually be an amusement park ride. Hear me out. I think this could actually be an amusement park ride. I think that if you knew, going into it, if you knew that the lions weren't actually going to hurt you, if you knew that this was all just a play, a movie, I think it would actually be kind of fun. You get brought before the king, the king is desperate to save you but can't, you're roughly brought. An amusement park ride right? they probably couldn't do it that roughly but you're brought and you are put into this lion's den with live lions and somehow you'd have to do this with animatronics or something like that but they would be like live lions sitting there looking at you and it would feel so real but you know and it would give you this kind of anxiety inside right but it would be the anxiety that I had at the zoo it would be kind of like this like wow it's scary because Lions are supposed to eat me, and there's something in me that's kind of associated lions with eating me, but they're just robots. Like, they are just completely shut by the angel. I don't have to worry. It would be a little tough being in the den all night. I don't know if people would really pay for that part. Like, I think that... Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if you've, if you've actually seen lions up close or, like, lions in, like... Um, like in a zoo with cages like where they're not too far away but they really smell like they they really I think they have a really strong odor, especially the male lions and uh, so that part yeah like that's unpleasant I don't think that would be part of my vacation plan but um, but it would be kind of neat to kind of at least have like a part of that and then in the morning you know you wake up and the lions are there and you kind of leave and the king is like all excited and And loves you and and then it goes on to say after everybody's destroyed all these people these accusers there's this i make a decree this is uh, king darius that all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the god of daniel for he is the living god enduring forever his kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heavens and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. It's not, it's, it, ha, it would have a little bit of adrenaline. It would have a little bit of annoyance. But if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that those lions weren't going to hurt you, it may actually be fun it may actually be an enjoyable experience. I mean, if you could sign up for that, if you could be like, I get to be Daniel. I get to be the one who causes the edict to go out to save the country. I get to be the one who stands in faith before the Lord. I get to be the one who wows the king and has his favor. And all I have to do is spend a night, and yes, it smells, but maybe I'll bring some things, you know, like to kind of close my nose or I don't know. I get to be the one to do this. Would it really be all that frightening? Would it really be all that frightening? It would be like me walking through the zoo. It might give me a little tremble because I have a nervous system that looks at lions and gets a little nervous. But beyond that, is it really all that scary? The primary persecution that happens is when the devil or sometimes when God takes away the things that we rely on that get in the way of us actually trusting God. When he takes away safety, the appearance of safety, our reassurance that we have safety, when he takes away our reassurance, our human, when he takes away our money, the thing that we rely on, when he takes away our health, is it forever? I don't know, but it might not be. And he takes away that assurance that we're going to be okay, that feeling inside that we're relying on. And all we have left is him. All we have left is him. My assurance that if I work hard every day, I will be safe. My workaholism on vacation, he just takes that away. I want you to know that you're going to be okay for the next seven days if you're not on your email. I want you to know that, ooh, it's not all going to blow up, Cyrus. It's going to be fine. I actually think a lot of persecution is very similar to a vacation. A lot of persecution is similar to a vacation. When you take yourself away from the daily trappings and you reboot. And you're like, okay, we're going to live without health for a while. I'm not going to rely on my physical form in order to comfort me. We're going to live without workaholism. I'm just going to rely on the Lord to keep my business going. I'm going to live without the reassurance of alcohol in my life. And I'm just going to trust God to keep me going. It's like rehab. You know what rehab looks like? A vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever gone and seen a rehab facility? At least the expensive ones. They're beautiful. You know why? Because when people are relaxed, it's easier to stop addictions. Green space is helpful. It actually relaxes you and you can get away from your addiction. It's okay to reboot. It's okay to take a vacation from the things that distract you from God. The things that maybe are good to do, it's good to work. But sometimes it just becomes too much of a distraction and you need to take a vacation. There's a lot of things in life that are okay to do sometimes, but you need to take a vacation. And there's a lot of things in our lives that are never okay and we need to take a vacation from those too. And sometimes it happens because you try to take a vacation from it. You schedule rehab and sometimes it gets scheduled for you. Sometimes God just takes it away. And all of a sudden, it's you and him. Now, I, I want you to know that, yes, there is a time when we take a break from sin, and that's not like a normal thing. Like, we're not supposed to be like, okay, we can sin for a while, and we can take a break from it. But there are times when the pushing and pulling, the, there's seasons in our lives, and it's okay for that to happen. There's an okay, it's actually, you can do a reboot, even if you've never sinned. It's actually just a part of how we're supposed to function. We wake and we sleep. We work and we have rest. Like our lives are cyclical. It's not supposed to be like we are forever in the church service with our hands raised, otherwise we are wicked. Like that's not the way it works. We are supposed to be moving through a cycle of life. Jesus went out and he preached and he healed and then he went up to the mountain to pray. There is a cycle that is built in that is divine, and it's okay. We don't have to feel condemned for needing to re-establish or to refocus our lives on the Lord. I mean, most of the time we do need to repent, like, because we're human. So I'm not... Most of the time. But I'm saying you can actually do reboots without ever sinning. Jesus did reboots without ever sinning. He reconnected. He focused. Reconnected might not be the right word, because he's always connected. He's, you know, he's the Trinity, but he focused more fully his time just on the Lord rather than also ministering at the same time. And there's a there's a season for that in our lives. That's okay. So we should be rebooting. So sometimes people are like, "Wow, well, you know, those people who just go to conference to conference to conference. I am okay with that." Yes, it can be a problem. But I am okay with the idea of that. You need to go up on the mountain. And if that's your way of going up on the mountain, if that's what God is calling you to do, that's okay. You may need to reboot. Song of Solomon 8.5 Who is that coming up out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved? What is the wilderness? It's a vacation. It's a vacation from everything that just makes us comfortable aside from the Lord. And why is she leaning on her beloved? Because she just went through rehab. And all she's got left is the Lord. And she knows it. I mean, I say I know I need the Lord, but I know I need the Lord when all of a sudden somebody in my business quits and I have no idea how this is going to affect everything. I know I need the Lord when something negative happens in my life that just shakes me, he shakes everything that can be shaken because he's the rock. And he's like, get off that stuff. I want you to lean on me. So sometimes I take away all the other things you can lean on so that you lean on me. And if you aren't leaning on anything else, if you're only leaning on the Lord, if you know those lions are going to have their mouths shut, then you, it's not even hardly, you don't even feel it hardly. Most of the persecution that we experience as persecution, we wouldn't even be feeling if we weren't addicted to something. Most of it. Some of it we would. But most of it we wouldn't even notice. If somebody puts me in rehab and says, no more alcohol, I would not even notice. It's like, no more cocaine. Okay. (laughs) It's like, done. But apparently this is hard for some people, right? But that's what persecution can be it's like but if you take me and you're like no more work it's like whoa you know other people it's like no more work and they're like done <laughs> <laughs> just kidding well i guess i'm not kidding but i don't know what i'm saying anyway if you're leaning on something other than the lord then when that's taken away yes it's going to be tough but if we can devote ourselves fully to the lord there's so much persecution that we would hardly even notice it'd be like you know what good job king i'm gonna go up and pray now oh here we go lion's den this is probably gonna really help the kingdom of god it's gonna be super exciting when you see me come out of this and you do the edict that everybody should fear the lord it's gonna be a great day i'll just be up there praying you come and get me it's like i don't even take cocaine it's like that's fine not a problem I'm not on anything other than you, Lord. So if that's all that I have left, I won't even hardly notice. I have money, but if you take it away, I'm only leaning on you, Lord, so it's not even a problem. I was just managing the money because you gave it to me to manage, but if you take it away, I'm only leaning on you, Lord. I don't even care. I'm already leaning on you. You're all I have. It's just a vacation. I don't have to deal with your money anymore. Thank you. Take the money away. I don't want to have to think about what to do with all of it. All I have left is you. That's how I always wanted it. You know, you hear people talk about coming out of prison in places like China. And they're almost, they're always like almost. They almost want to go back. Because it was such a time of intimacy because there was nothing else. It's like the best conference in the world. All I had was the Lord. And some gruel. I had nothing else to lean on. And the great thing is that you would rejoice if all you had left because it's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to experience some persecution. And they think it's going to be hard for me, but it's not going to be hard. And at the end of it, there's going to be a breakthrough because that's how you work, Lord. You do these persecution things. You allow the devil, you do something in my life, you take away, you shake it. All I am is on you. And then at the end of it, I don't even, hardly am bothered because all I have is you. And then at the end of it, an edict goes out into the country that that furthers your kingdom. We should be rejoicing. We should be rejoicing. Because it displays the power of God in us. It's like, wow, we outlawed cocaine and it didn't even affect him. He must be using something else. Isn't that amazing? Takes away our comfort, takes away our control, takes away our money. And if it's not a vacation... And it is hard for us that it's so important that we do it. If, you take a, if I take a vacation and I can hardly put my cell phone down because I'm getting emails, it is so important that I take a vacation. If somebody outlaws cocaine and they take away all the cocaine and I'm suffering because of that, it is so important that that law went out and that I'm no longer on cocaine. The breakthrough is either going to happen because people are amazed that the law about cocaine didn't bother me, or it's going to be a personal breakthrough because I am now letting go of cocaine and I'm going to have to focus on the Lord. It's either going to be a personal breakthrough because I am no longer able to email, or it's going to be a a huge breakthrough in the country because that person wasn't affected by the thing that everybody else is leaning on. I thought that Daniel wasn't being killed by lions because there were no lions around. but he's actually not being killed by lions because of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? And when everybody sees that, it's powerful. Intimacy comes when we reboot, when we shake everything that can be shaken. And if your life isn't shaking, if you don't have anything being taken away from you right now, if life is easy and good, then you should be fasting. You should shake your own country. To make sure that when the persecution does come, that it's like, well, you know what? I was fasting yesterday, and that was pretty tough too. You know, like, I'm already relying all on the Lord. I realized how weak I am and how grumpy I get when I'm not on food. I figured that out. I'm already leaning on the Lord because I don't get any sweets. When we come out, if we're not in the wilderness, we need to be making times to go into the wilderness. And he gave us a way to do that. I feel like there's two things, and one I focused on one I didn't. One is, uh, in some sense, I want to welcome and even institute the wilderness in our lives. The Jesus walking into the desert, the fasting, the looking at our persecution, looking at the troubles in our lives and saying, Lord, wow, I'm so glad that you're here for me. You're right. You're right. I don't need this money. I don't need this favor. I don't need this comfort. It's all about you. And that's the part that I'm focusing on today. But I also want to emphasize that leaning on your beloved isn't just like grinning and bearing it. But it's knowing that the Lord is the one that you have to lean on in order to deliver you from it. If, da- if Daniel actually walked into the lion's den and said, woohoo, I'm ready to be eaten by a lion, he would have been eaten by a lion. But Daniel went in there not trying to like, enjoy a terrible experience and make like, I actually like lion's dens, so thank you very much. It wasn't that. The Lord like, changed my heart and made me love lion eat, like lions eating me. Like That's not how he survived by just being like a person who loved difficulty. He went in there leaning on his beloved, and his beloved saved him. Whether he was eaten or not, he's going to be saved. We get through our persecution by leaning on the Lord, and the Lord rescues us. He, He is solid for us when we can't walk. So yes, it's easy to go, it's a vacation to be like, I don't have to worry about comfort. I don't have to worry about money. I don't have to worry about work. I just, because God took it all away. So all I get is the Lord. I've actually had fantasies about going to prison. It was one of my ways of coping with actually working in a prison. I was like, what would I do if I was in prison? Well, then I'd actually have time to write. Finally, I'd have some time. (laughs) I actually had a whole plan. I had a whole plan for how I would deal with prison. I'd act a bit crazy. So people would be afraid of me because if you act tough, then they challenge your toughness. But if you act crazy, then they're like, I don't know what Cyrus is going to do. So stay away from him. So crazy is the way to go. You want to be like wild. You don't you want people to be unpredictable. And then I would go into solitary confinement. And so I wouldn't have to worry about anything. Unfortunately, in Canada, I think they're outlawing or like they're taking away solitary confinement. So it's disrupting my prison plan. But that was my plan. And then I would write. And I would pray. And it would be me and God. And I wouldn't have to worry about whatever's happening around me. That was my plan. It was like a vacation for me. (laughs) I want you all to be ready for everything else to be taken away. I want you all to be ready for everything else to be taken away from you. I want the police to be coming and you to be saying, you know what, I was wondering if you guys were going to come. Okay, let's go. Boy, I don't have to worry about my email anymore. I just get to pray. I still get the Bible, right? I'm not very good at memorizing, so I wouldn't be as great if they didn't give me a Bible. That would be tough. But maybe then God would just give me visions. I don't know. Maybe I just need to work on memorizing. I want us all to be ready. I want us all to be ready. I want us to be ready because things can get worse. I want us to be ready because things are already happening now. Let's pray. Lord, you have such a heart for intimacy. And you are prepared to take everything away from us to make sure that we have you in the right place. I want the wilderness, Lord, in our lives and in my life to be a place of rest where I just lean on you and I could be thankful I don't have to worry about trying to manage distractions. And Lord, I'm not there, and I don't think many of us are, are there yet. So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our spirits. I pray that you would help us to refocus our lives. And I pray that you would do that through the suffering that's happening, the shaking that's happening. And I pray, Lord, that there would be strength in this, in this family. That even if things aren't shaking, that we would be prepared to shake things in our own lives. Like fasting in order to prepare our hearts and lean only on you because we can feel our weakness there. Lord, I pray that you would also for those of us who are leaning heavily on you right now. Lord, I pray that you would be that strong place. Lord, as we lean on you, I pray that you would tenderize our hearts and that you would walk us out of that prison. And that that would be a testimony to the country. That it would be a testimony that would glorify your name. There was somebody who leaned on the Lord and the Lord was faithful. Lord, help us to lean only on you.